is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we've come to worship you, we now take some time to consider your holy word. And so we pray for insight and understanding of what you have for us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, if you've been here at all through the uh, summer, you know that we are continuing our teaching series on the letter to the church in Rome. And so last week, if you were here, you got the great opportunity to hear our own Lincoln Alabaster share in a uh, beautiful message. And the week before, Jael Amador, uh, and I listened to Jael on my 15-hour drive back from uh, uh, Michigan. I only listened once. I could have kept going because it was that good. Uh, But if you would like to catch up with any of the messages uh, in this series, you can go to avonhope.org, where we have either video or uh, audio, and catch up with both of those two in particular. Well, here, as we uh, transition to a new section, if you will, in Romans, we look at Romans chapter uh, 9. In Romans chapter 9, verse 1, the Apostle Paul starts by just expressing his anguish about his uh, people. And so Romans chapter 9 verse 1 says, and this is Paul speaking, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it's through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. So up to this point, the uh, Romans has been building. It started kind of very um, uh, down. And by the time we get to chapter 8, things are really, really uh, getting good. But now the tone is shifting back to this this sense of anguishness that Paul is, is having. And so verse 3 of chapter 9 says, uh, For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off for Christ's sake and for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. And so it seems like Paul, after, again, this journey through the first part of uh, Romans, is now thinking and reflecting about the state of his people, his his countrymen, uh, the Israelites. And and he's expressing this great affection for them. He asserts that they have uh, pursued a religion based not on God's plan, but on their observance of the law, legalism, if you will. They used uh, God's uh, outline in the Old Testament, and uh, they crafted that into a religion that was rooted in their own uh, work. And so we see this articulated in Romans 9.30 in particular. What then shall we say, Paul asked, that the Gentiles, who did not pursue righteousness or being good, have obtained it, 
a righteousness that is by faith, but the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. So Paul's argument here is that uh, while God has been doing this good thing in Jesus, this great thing in Jesus, that his people, his fellow countrymen, have uh, neglected what has happened. In fact, have, many of them have uh, rejected what God has done through Jesus. Now, it's important to note here that uh, Paul was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. All of the first believers in Jesus were Jewish. So this is not uh, certainly a condemnation of, of uh, every uh, Israelite. The church was Jewish when it started, but Paul's recognizing that as a whole, the people who had been given all these gifts from God and were designed to be God's communicators of the good news and prepare the way for the Messiah, that as a, as a whole, as a people, many of them had not embraced the Messiah as God had and intended, and Paul is in anguish about this, so much so that he's like, I'll give up myself if just my, my people can embrace the good news of uh, Jesus. And so, again, Paul is this Jewish man who had been a great communicator to non-Jewish people about Jesus is now reflecting on the experience of his own people, and there's great uh, anguishment there. And so that leads us to Romans chapter 9, verse 14, which kind of gets at the core of what in his mind is uh, the issue. Again, Romans 9, verse 14, our text of emphasis today. What shall we say then about this? Is God unjust? That's a great question, by the way. Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up on this very purpose that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all of the earth. Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Basically, Paul is like, hey, God can do what he wants to do, and this situation with, uh, with uh, his people, with, with uh, uh, Paul's people, is part of God's uh, work. And so I would assert to you that this is uh, uh, challenging. In fact, I find uh, the implications of what Paul is getting out here in Romans 9 to be really, really challenging uh, for, for at least two reasons. There are two implications that come out of what uh, we've read that uh, I find a little bit disturbing. First of all, there is the implication that God has a particular group of people or uh, he chooses particular individuals and he uh, uses them for his purposes by putting them in particular circumstances or introducing changes to their worldview or life plan that is going to intentionally uh, challenge them. So God challenges people, individuals or groups of people, by uh, introducing concepts that he knows are going to be difficult uh, for them to handle. Okay, so this happens very specifically with uh, the first century Israelites and Jesus. They have a whole system of religion, and the very idea of what Jesus is about is incredibly hard for them to grasp and understand. Paul is also referencing uh, back to the story of Pharaoh, and of course this is a great story that every first century Israelite would remember of the Exodus when their people were rescued from slavery 
in Egypt. And God says that he did the same thing with the Pharaoh. Pharaoh had a worldview where he was, the, he was God, and he had ultimate control over his people and any other uh, people who happened to be under them, including the Israelite slaves. And so God challenged uh, Pharaoh, hardened his heart, if you will, and uh, showed him a, a new worldview where Pharaoh was not God, God was God, and uh, that was too much for Pharaoh to handle. So we see this implication that God challenges people and their worldviews and for the purpose of growth sometimes of other people. The second implication here is that uh, God may practice uh, mind control and may force people to react in a particular way, the hardening of uh, the heart. So if you just read this first off, you're like, okay, God is challenging uh, the Israelites. He challenged the, uh, the Pharaoh. If, if uh, you've been a lot around, you've been challenged, you know what it's like to be challenged. Um, but then there's also this kind of implication that maybe God is working in people's minds and making it incapable for them to uh, have free will, that he hardens their heart or he makes it impossible for somebody to make decisions uh, on their own. So I wanted to spend a little time talking about these two implications because I think this is at the heart of what Romans 9 is, is addressing. Uh, so first of all, let's, inter- let's uh, wrestle with this uh, implication of God and uh, mind control. Does God control people's minds so that they cannot uh, act in accordance with his uh, will? Uh, I would suggest to you that that is not what this text is saying, even though on first reading, certainly you could, it would be understandable to get that. I would assert that Paul is not saying that God forced Pharaoh to reject his commands, uh, but it is saying uh, that God put Pharaoh in a situation that he knew was going to be incredibly, incredibly challenging uh, for him. Uh, we know that, that God embraces free will and that the idea of his uh, work is for everyone. There's no one he cuts off. John chapter 3, 16, the most famous verse in all of the Bible. God loved the whole world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. One of the many texts that imply that God does not control people's minds, that everyone has the opportunity to believe in him, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy for everyone. And so it certainly wasn't easy for Pharaoh to believe that God's plan that was being introduced to him was, going, was, was the right plan. Pharaoh had a whole different mindset about how the world works, about what place he had in the world, about his life plan and where he was going to go. And when he was challenged, it was just too much for him. In the same way for many of those first century Israelites, the idea that, uh, that Jesus was the Messiah uh, was just too much for them to wrap their minds around. So God doesn't control the mind But sometimes he gives us things that challenge us so much that it's incredibly, incredibly hard for us to embrace what he is doing. Uh, There is a, there's an old uh, illustration. This may or may not be helpful for you. Alan, what do you think? Should we do the butter, the butter and the clay? Okay. Um, Our, our... Our priest friend Alex here, uh, uh, Alex Allen, has has given the okay for this illustration, so it passed the the test here. Okay, uh, so there's an old illustration about this idea of hardening the heart. So you have butter and you have clay. Have you heard this before? Right. So 
the, when the sun comes up, it creates different chemical reactions in both uh, elements. So for clay, when sun, sun comes up when in the morning, clay might be moist and malleable and be able to be shifted and changed, but as the sun rises and that clay bakes, it becomes hard and brittle and, and you know, if it's, it's good clay and it's made into a brick, it'll be a, a nice brick, but if not, it'll be crispy and it's, it's, it's just hard and, and rough. Meanwhile, when the sun comes up, same sun comes up over butter, what happens? It melts, it becomes a soft. And so this illustration is used to talk about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Uh, the, the, God's work was revealed to him, and he had the, he had the opportunity to, to be butter, but he was a clay. That was, that was like his, his nature. So, you know, the, this, it's not the son's fault that the clay, clay gets hard. That, that was the reaction. And so Pharaoh's heart was hardened. The first century Israelites had a very difficult time also. And, and hearts were, many hearts were hardened. And so uh, we see again not, God not doing mind control here. God is not into mind control. He wants everybody to have the ability to make their own uh, choices. But he challenges us in places and ways in which we may have a very difficult time coming to the realization of what he's doing and what he's working in the world and in, the, in our own lives. So, uh, again, many of you, I would imagine, have been uh, challenged and maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you've wrestled with being uh, clay and uh, when you're presented with a challenging situation, you harden. And uh, so let's, let's keep that in mind. It's not only the first century Israelites or Pharaoh who have had that challenge, I would imagine. Now, I said the second implication of the text that we've read in Romans 9 is uh, this, that uh, apparently God uses people or people groups um, by putting them into circumstances that will challenge our worldview. And so uh, is that... Is that legitimate? Does God do that? And I, again, I would assert to you that in this case, yes, indeed, absolutely, we do see a number of cases where this is true. God intentionally challenging people by putting them in circumstances that he knows is going to be uh, difficult for them. Again, for the first century Israelite and their worldview, the idea of uh, Jesus and what he was all about was incredibly difficult to uh, comprehend and accept. And yet God gives them uh, this uh, opportunity. In fact, he makes uh, uh, Jesus. Jesus comes as a first century uh, Israelite. He takes that, that a form. And so God challenging the people, his people who he had been mentoring and guiding for their entire experience, challenges them with the idea of uh, Jesus. And so in this situation, God chooses the Israelite people to host Jesus with the intent that Jesus would have an impact on the entire world and that his relationship with the Israelites would be a catalyst for the news about him getting out into the, all the world. And indeed, that has happened. Jesus' relationship with the first century Israelites had an impact on the, the most of the world. And so according to Paul, again, God initiates or simply allows people or people groups to face challenging situations with a larger purpose in mind. In Romans chapter 11, at the end of this element where he's dealing with the first century Israelites, 
Uh, Paul says this, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. So again, I don't know about you, but this is a little bit disturbing to me, the idea that God would use a person or a group of people by challenging them uh, with the intention that their experience of being, a cha- being challenged is going to educate or help other people. Okay? That's a little bit uh, disturbing to me at, at first reading. With that said, it does lead me to the question, well, how do I be more like butter generally than, than clay? When God challenges me, when God challenges you, how do you not get hard and crispy and inflexible? How do you be able to be changed? Now, I think there are a couple simple responses to that. How, how to be like, we should have titled this, How to Be Like Butter today. Is that, okay. How to be like butter. So here's how to be like butter. If God challenges people, how are we going to embrace the challenge, even though that may be disturbing, how do we embrace the challenge, not get hard and stiff and unchangeable, but how do we melt and, 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 and be butter? Okay, so here's, I'm going to give you three. Three ways to be like butter. First of all, be humble. Be humble. You don't know everything. How many people here know everything? Nobody. We've got some super smart people, by the way, in the Avon Hope community. Super, super smart. And uh, yet the reality is you don't know, none of us know everything. In fact, if we all put all of our, our minds together, we still know just a very little about what there is to know in the universe. And so if that's the case, we should be humble in all things and recognize, hey, maybe, maybe God knows more than, than we do about what's going on in the universe and even about our needs. And so let's, let's, let's recognize that. So be humble. Secondly, be, be flexible. Uh, be prepared to adjust. You know, if challenge is a part of a life, what's that, what's that great statement from M. Scott Peck? Remember the Road Less Challenge, that book way back in the day? Life is difficult. First, line, first sentence of the book, life is uh, difficult. If that's the case, then we should all just be flexible and be ready to change and adjust. And when God reveals himself in a particular way for us, that we can adjust and change. And so when God challenges us, no problem. I'm just going to be flexible. I'm going to be moldable. I'm going to be able to be prepared and adjust. Finally, how to be like butter, uh, be patient. Be patient. You know, be patient. God knows what he wants to do in your experience. And if he's got you in a situation that is particularly challenging, What's the problem? Be patient. He's going to take care of things. Everything is going to come together, together okay. You're going to be all right. Just hold on until uh, good things start happening again. So be humble. Be flexible. Be patient. That's how to be like butter. Amen. You can go now. Everything's good. Go in peace. Be fle- humble. Be flexible. Be patient. All is good. End of sermon, right? Seems so easy. Easier said than done, right? Can I just confess to you, when I am put in challenging situations, even though I know intellectually that I should be humble, that I should not be like Pharaoh, that I should not have a hard heart, that I should be humble, that I should be flexible, that I should be patient, I find these things to be very difficult. Are you guys with me here? When you are put into challenging situations, when your worldview is dramatically changed, when you think about your, your life, do any of you have like your, your life plan, your, your like 
you know, your 20-year plan. This is, you know, in year five, I'm going to have this much money in the, in the, in the account. And, and by this year, I'm going to be at this level in my job. I'm going to be supervising this many people. I mean, do you guys have that? Anybody have that? Nobody has that. Okay, thank, oh, thank you, Christine, for your honesty. Good idea. Good idea. Christine, you, maybe you can teach a class on how to plan out your life, all right? Great idea. The problem is when that's challenged, when your life plan is challenged, and you get to year 10 and your bank account isn't what you want to be, or you know, the relationship status that you imagined at a particular point in life is not there, or your job is not going well. Be humble, be flexible, be patient. That's not what you need to hear when you come to church, right? I mean, let's be honest. Good advice, not that helpful. As humans, when we face uh, challenges, when our worldview is changed, when our perspective on where we're supposed to be, when, when God allows things to happen to us that we're, we, we're not prepared for, it can be incredibly, incredibly difficult. And by the way, you know, I mean, there's like, does God allow things or God, does God initiate things? At some point, it's like, what's the difference? You know, it's happening to you. Whether God initiated it or God allowed it, it's happening. And if you believe in God and God is involved in the universe, then, I mean, God has a, a hand in it. And so if you're in an experience right now, maybe, where you are feeling challenged, where things aren't going exactly as you plan and your life plan or your worldview is being challenged, hey, you can take heart with this. And I would imagine that me getting up to you and saying, be humble, be flexible, be patient, isn't going to do it for you. So what hope do we have? If being humble, being flexible, being patient, or whatever other advice doesn't really work in the end when we're really, really challenged, what hope do we have? Well, there's good news. Because God has done what uh, we cannot uh, do. Uh, we read about the narrative of Jesus in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39. We're told that Jesus uh, was confronted with having to do something that he didn't want to do. In Matthew chapter 26 verse 29 we read that Jesus was in the garden. This is the night before he was to die. He was in the garden and he was uh, walking and he went a little farther and then he, has, he fell with his face to the ground. And he called out, Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. If there is any possible way that we can change the plan, that we can do something different than this, because this, 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 this plan is not to my liking. If it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Maybe there be some other way. I mean, if you want to find a text in the Bible that really speaks to the humanity of Jesus, this has got to be the first place to you go. Father, please take this cup from me. I don't want this plan. But then he finishes, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus was, was, was faced with challenging circumstances, and he didn't let his own desires get in the way of God's plan, for not only for him, but for humanity. Uh, Jesus also, of course, faced challenges, challenges that many of us will never have to face, 
few verses later in Matthew 27, verse 27, we read that uh, the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. Now, Jesus was indeed the, the true king, not only of Israel, but of the, of the human race. But now he's there and he's being uh, tried and the company of soldiers gather around him and they strip him. They put a scarlet robe on him and they twisted together a crown of thorns and they set it on his head and they put a staff in his right hand and then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews. They spit on him and they took the staff and they struck him on the head again and again and again. And after that they mocked him again and they took off, his, off the robe and they put on his old clothes and then they led him away to crucify him. Now, I've faced challenges in my experience. You've faced challenges too. I dare say none of us have ever experienced something that, like what's recorded in Matthew chapter 27. And so Jesus was confronted with challenging circumstances, but he didn't let his desires get in the way of God's plan. And then Jesus suffered. He faced difficult things. And then we're told that because of this, because Jesus went through and experienced what we could not and did what we could not, we have hope for a new future. We have hope that God can do in us what we can't do for ourselves. Me telling you, be patient, uh, be humble, doesn't do anything. Because you're going to leave here and you're going to feel like, okay, I'm going to be patient, I'm going to be humble, and that works for like an hour. Right? I mean, how many of you have left uh, a worship service like, man, whoo, feeling good about that, got beat up a little bit, I was told what I, you know, people, I, I like to be told what to do. Told what to do. That feels good for like an hour. And then you get out and you start realizing it's like a New Year's resolution. Your jail was talking two weeks about New Year's resolution. How many of you have kept up with your New Year's resolutions? Raise your hand. You had such high intentions. Ben, wow. So spiritual, Ben. Thank you. I mean, that's our worship leader for today. He has kept his New Year's resolutions. Thank you, Ben. All right, for the rest of us, we have all the best intentions in the world. But when it comes down to really making it happen, when challenges face us, when our worldview is messed with, when our life plan isn't going according to plan, all bets are off. Jesus has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We're told in Romans chapter 10, as Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. If you believe that Jesus has done what it's told that he has done on our behalf, then you will never be put to shame. If you believe in yourself, I promise you, you will be put to shame. Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Now Paul is coming back and he's saying, you know, there's this issue of Jew and Gentile, and in one sense there is a difference. You know, each have had their different experiences. All of us here have different experiences, and so when God interacts or engages us in a particular way, one thing that's going to be really challenging for one of you is not going to be challenging for the other. You're going to be like, what was the problem? That doesn't challenge me. But when it comes to embracing God's work on our behalf, there is, though, no distinction. We all have access to the same Jesus. Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord over all, and richly blesses everyone who calls on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I think 
this is like the best news ever, right? You talk about equality. This is true equality. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your background. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that good news? You came from a certain part of the world or your skin is a certain color. Uh-oh, it didn't work for you? No. It works for everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You don't have to be super smart. You don't have to have great willpower to get it all together and be patient. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So while we face challenges on our way to coming into relationship with God, God does not have uh, favorites. Rather, he wants all of us to be challenged. No question, God challenges each and every one of us, and he'll do it in different ways for each person. The, the first century Israelites faced challenges. Pharaoh faced challenges. You will face challenges as you embrace Jesus' work on your behalf, God's work on your behalf through Jesus. God is able to have, give you a new perspective on your challenges. You know, one of the beauties of, of, of the idea of challenges in God is that God does not necessarily remove you from your challenge. You know, sometimes that's our desire when we're faced with challenges. Boy, if God would just get me out of this circumstance or this situation, or if he would just increase my bank account, or he would just change my boss or whatever, then everything would be good. Oftentimes, that's not how it works. God doesn't change the circumstances. He changes you. He changes your mind. changes how you think about things and how you relate to things. So as you embrace Jesus, embrace God's work on your behalf, God is able to start doing in you what you cannot do for yourselves. And oftentimes, that means not a change of circumstances, but a change of your own mind. God is inviting us into a relationship with him where he is capable of changing our mind, not manipulating our minds, not controlling our minds. As we're, he's invited in. He is able to do what we cannot in our minds. So as you embrace God's work on your behalf, God will do in you what you cannot do for your, yourself. Reshape your mind. Reshape your, what, what challenges you. Reshape your perspective and allow your worldview to be shaped to his worldview. So today we have, all of us, have the opportunity to call on the name of the Lord. We live in challenging times. You've experienced challenges. You have the opportunity, I have the opportunity today and every day to call on the name of the Lord. You know, in one sense, the whole, I mean, we get up here and we talk every week, 52 weeks a year, we have some kind of message, but in one sense, every message ends up being the same. Call on the name of the Lord. I mean, that's, at least that should be the end of every, every message, right? Because if the message is, hey, here's 10 things to do to get your life together, that's going to be a failure. Why? Because you're a failure. <laughs> Can we say that? I am a failure. Say that with me. I am a failure. Doesn't that feel good? I mean, especially in a place like New York. I mean, don't go to your work and say, I'm a failure. You're going to get fired. Don't do that. But here, here, we can say, I am a failure, because that's the root of things. We are not going to get it done on our own. You're not going to be more patient, more flexible, more humble, or the, all the other things that you need to do to get your life together on your own. God has done what we cannot do as we embrace his work 
God can make the changes that we will never, ever make. And so today, we have the opportunity, you have the opportunity to call on the name of the Lord. My suggestion to you, don't just do it today, that this is a, a great... I know in church, and we tell you, like, you, you know, all these things you should do. You study your Bible, you should, you know, come to worship, you should uh, pray, all lovely things. But calling on the name of the Lord is literally the one thing we are invited to do every day. And when we do that, God is enabled to do things we will never do on our own. So today, we have the opportunity to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Romans, ends, Romans 11 ends with these words. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. May the God who challenges us also be the God of grace who empowers us and gives us the flexibility and the patience and the humbleness that we need to be transformed today. Amen.